Not the lights, which are also great and wonderful, but Jesus, the Lord, brings us joy. So, with that being said, under the lights, we see a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to take up the wire. John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist Focusing on the incarnation of Christ, Jesus' advent into the world. That we focus on the theme of joy. That John in the womb of Elizabeth was leaping with joy because Jesus was coming into the world. The shepherds, when they saw Jesus lying in a manger, were full of joy. When the wise men who followed the star from the east, when they went and they saw the true king, the true king promised, they were full of joy. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who does not know Jesus, who in the thought of Jesus' name are not leaping in joy. Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts this morning. For our children in this room who, who have heard the Christmas story, have heard stories about the Bible, and have heard stories about Jesus, but are not saved, they have not been, you have not transformed their hearts yet. We pray, Lord, that during this Christmas season, that you would open their eyes and hearts to the joy that is in Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us because they are traveling or not feeling well. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over them and, and give them strength. We pray for our, our nurses in the room who um, and, and, our, and our medical workers and health workers, Lord, who are struggling and, and dealing with the, 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 high, the high amount of cases uh, of COVID that are going on right now. We pray that you would give them perseverance, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give them strength. Pray, Lord, that you would give them rest, even in the chaos. You give them rest because they have rest in you. Lord, we pray as the, this vaccine starts to go out, we pray, Lord, that it would get distributed uh, effectively, Lord, and that through that people would be protected and, and safe. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that you have given to the people that worked on these vaccines. It's only by your power and by, and by your uh, purpose and your sovereignty, Lord, that this vaccine even exists. Help us to remember that. Lord, we praise you, Lord. We thank you. We pray that you would speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
Christmas represents kind of the, the festival of lights, uh, a time for family gathering, uh, generously giving to the poor and giving to those in need and giving to our families, right? That's a ba- major emphasis with Christmas. Think of all the mainstream artists in the world, or I mean, a lot of the mainstream popular musicians uh, singing songs about Jesus' birth. Uh, this is an interesting, uh, I was looking online to see like how many different, different people and musicians uh, have Christmas albums. And I'm not joking, but Snoop Dogg, the rapper, has a Christmas album. And one of his songs in there was, When, when Was Jesus Born? was actually one of the songs on the album. When Was Jesus Born? Even the band Bad Religion, Bad Religion, and Greg Griffin, who is like, I guess one of the lead singers or one of the main artists in this band, who, um, who actually is not an atheist, he's a naturalist, he actually has the song on his album, their Christmas album, I'm not joking, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Barbara Streisand, Rob Stewart, CeeLo Green all have Chris, Christian songs on their Christmas album. CeeLo Green has Mary Did You Know on his Christmas album. Ben Crosby and David Bowie have The Little Drummer Boy on their album. Sting has Gabriel's Message as one of the songs on their, on his Christmas album. Twisted Sister, do you know who Twisted Sister is? The band who, um, who basically cross-dressed? All right, they have a song on their Christmas album, O Come All Ye Faithful. And they sing this, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, in their like 80s rock style. And all these mainstream artists who have Christmas songs. People everywhere putting nativity scenes in their homes. Maybe Christmas is the birth of Christ is just easier to swallow than the death of Christ. Maybe a manger with shepherds looking, looks, on, looks better on a fireplace than Jesus on the cross. Maybe, Chris, maybe, maybe it's easier to swallow. Maybe it's easier to tell kids the story of his birth, but it's difficult to tell the story of his death. Christmas can be, uh, the, the, the manger scene and the shepherds can be easily ignored as well, simply mixed in with Santa Claus and elves and presents. Kind of just pushed to the side as a classic and spiritual decor, but nothing more. I mean, who has a problem with a cute, adorable baby? Like, who has an issue with the sweet baby Jesus in the manger? So innocent, so silent, so safe. There's a sweetness and a lightness to Christmas. But, even in Christmas, the shadow of the cross lurks. Even at Christmas, the cross threatens and invades and disrupts Christmas. Think of the song, Hark the Herald Angel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's take that song, for example. A very popular Christmas carol. Ones that, you again, will be on Mainstream Artists' album. Originally written by Charles Wesley, called Hark How All the Vault of Heaven Rings, Glory to the King of Kings. But then George Whitfield 
added the, the, added the music to the song, and then it ended up getting changed to Hark the Herald Angel Sings. But let me read some of the, the quotes here. God and Savior, God and sinners reconciled. Born that man no more, no more may die. Born to raise the son of earth. Born to give them second birth. Born to raise the sons of earth. How do you think Jesus did that? Through the cross. The cross lurks in Christmas. It's a shadow that is invading and disrupting Christmas. We like to say Christmas is safe. It's about a baby in a manger. We can push the, the whole Jesus on the cross away, but yet it still lurks. The context of these uh, the, the last few sermons have been, what child is this? That's the series title. What child is this? First sermon, we said the child is God. John chapter 1, 1 through 18. The word was with God. He was in the beginning. He is, life is in the word. He is the light of men. And it, we also learned in Hebrews 2, 5 through 18, that the child is human. Like his brothers in every way, like us in every way, in every respect, he is like us. The child was born to die. That's the third kind of topic or theme. The child was born to die. Why does Christ have to die? Why does the eternal and infinite God have to die? Why does a human substitute have to be sacrificed? So the main point is this, is that God provided his divine and beloved son as a sufficient and effective sacrifice for sin so that we may be with God. God provided his divine and beloved son as the sufficient and effective sacrifice for sin so that we may be with God. So for you children, here's our key words, provides, lamb, and cost. Provides lamb and cost. So point number one of the sub point is, is that God provides the perfect lamb. God provides the perfect lamb. So we see here in John that, that Jesus, uh, John has been baptizing uh, people. People have come out to the Jordan River and he has been baptizing them. He is, they are repenting of their sins and getting right with God. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes. And John says, behold. Interesting history about this particular verse, or in church history, there was a man who was working at Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's church. They were working on the acoustics, and, and Charles Spurgeon just read this one verse, and the man got saved. Behold. You, you, you see, a, I know Charles Spurgeon preached in the 19th century, but you can hear it. He was a big man, and he just said, behold, you know, the acoustics of this room that we're in was so, so powerful, the man questioned his sin and put his trust in Christ. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, again, like I said, I've said this before, behold is like adding an exclamation point to this passage, behold. And I think we have to realize before we, we start into this is that man is separated from God. Because of sin, because of the fall, man is separated from God. In, Ezekiel, I mean, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, 
God had told Moses to erect a, a tabernacle, a tent, right? And then the Ark of Covenant was supposed to be placed in the tent. And that is where God was going to meet with Moses. That's how he was going to uh, talk and address himself to Moses. He says, when the tabernacle was erected, the cloud of God covered the tent of meetings, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We see an interesting thing going development in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, among us. And that they saw his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the Old Testament, God showed his glory through the cloud in the tabernacle. Now, God is expressing and showing his glory through his Son, that his Son in the flesh is dwelling among them, tabernacling among them, and they see the glory of the Lord. Very similar to how Moses experienced God. In Exodus 40, verse 35, the next passage, it says that Moses was unable to enter the tent of meetings because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They were unable to enter and meet with God. Why? Very interesting, because actually Exodus ends there. And then we get into Leviticus chapter 1. So the, the tabernacle was erected, it was built. Moses, there's a cloud of the Lord, the glory of the Lord was in the tabernacle, but then Moses was unable to meet with God. Aaron and the high priest, Aaron and his, and his sons, the priests, were unable to be in the tabernacle. And it's interesting how the next book over is Leviticus, which talks about the sacrifices, the offerings. In Leviticus 9, 22-24, sacrifices were made, the for- forgiveness of sin was achieved, therefore Moses and Aaron were able to enter, and the glory of the Lord appeared, and they saw it, and they worshipped, and were full of joy. Why? Because at first, when they just erected the tabernacle, they were unable to enter. Why? Because their sins were not atoned for. When their sins were then atoned for by the sacrificing of the animals, they were then able to enter and see the glory of God. What does this have to do with the advent of Christ? The advent of Christ is worthless to humanity without the cross. Jesus in the manger, Jesus and the shepherds, Jesus and the wise men, Jesus and the gifts that the wise men bring would be worthless and meaningless to us and to the shepherds and to the wise men and to Mary and Joseph and the rest of humanity if there is no cross. A crossless Christmas is a meaningless Christmas. The tabernacle is erected, but yet you and I have no privilege to enter God's presence. A sacrifice must be made. Hence the importance of John's word here in John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb. Why does he use the word the Lamb? We've gone from John using John the, the, the author, the word. Now John the Baptist using the word the Lamb or the title the Lamb. The background of this title is found in the Old Testament. The Passover Lamb, that God had told Moses that the people of Israel, when they were still slaves in Egypt, when the plagues were happening, the tenth plague was about to come, which was the, 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 the angel of death was about to come into Egypt and kill all the firstborn sons. And he told Moses is that this is how you protect the firstborn and, the, and your family. You take a lamb and you 
without any blemish. You kill that lamb at twilight, and you, then you, you take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood, which is interesting because King David mentions clean me with hyssop, very similar uh, language here. Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, and a sign, it will be a sign for you that the angel of death will see the blood, and God says, and I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you, and the wrath of God will pass over you through the lamb. So when John calls him the lamb, this this is going on. This background is extremely important in understanding the significance of who Jesus is. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was about atonement. It was about being getting right with God. The word atonement at one meant being one with God, fellowship with God, was broken because of sin. And the only way to have fellowship with God was through forgiveness of sin and reconciliation. And God had provided the means of animal sacrifices for Israel to be then made right with God, to have fellowship with with God. That's why I wanted to give you that history. Before they could enter into the tent of meetings, before Aaron and Moses could enter into the tent, they had to do what? Sacrifice animals for their sins so they could have fellowship with God. It's interesting, again, Leviticus 1, 2 through 3, the way that God instructed that the way that they ought to do um, sacrifices is that first you had to bring a lamb from your flock. Think about this for a second. You are a, a, you're a, a, a family, you're a man or a woman, and, you're, and you have a herds of animals that you use for milk and for food. And God is saying, all right, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your best one, your, your best lamb, one without any blemishes. If it has a broken leg, it won't work. It has to be perfect. It has to be spotless. It has to be without blemish. You pick the best one in your herd, you choose one without any blemish, that for it has some personal, it has a high personal cost to you. You've raised this animal, you've fed it, you tended to it. There's a cost. Even David says in 2 Samuel, I, I cannot offer a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. This sacrifice was going to cost you. And, and the cost of your sins and my sins is an infinite payment. Hence why there's an eternal judgment tied to your sins. So there's an infinite payment. The eternal judgment is the full payment for your sins against an eternal and holy God. Hebrews 10.4 says that bulls and goats were insufficient to fulfill that payment. To, to be able to pay that infinite eternal debt. And the question is, is, could not God have made a perfect second Adam who would bear our sins and die in our place? Couldn't he have not used his own son? Could he not have sent his, his eternal son, his divine beloved son into the world to save us? Couldn't he have just made another Adam that was sinless and perfect and he could die in our place? He's human, so therefore he fulfills that requirement. The problem is, is the price is too high. That price, that, that blood would be insufficient. The fallout from our sins is an internal banishment from God. We need a human substitute who is of infinite value. This lamb belongs to God. 
God provides a perfect lamb, the only suitable sacrifice. His divine beloved son, my beloved son, he says at his baptism. The word who is in the beginning with God, who has life in him, he is the only one who can pay this debt. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Isaiah 53, 7, uh, upon the lamb who was led to the slaughter. He is the one who will be led to the slaughter for our transgressions and for our iniquities. The cost was so great. Our sin payment was so great. And the only one who could pay that debt is the divine beloved son of God. Hence why God has to provide it. Hence why the one who it belongs to is God. The second point is this, this child's death is our means of ascent. This child's death is our means of ascent. John says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Interesting thing happens in the sacrificial system. The, 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 the worshiper, the person, had to pick a lamb from his herd, bring it to the tent of meetings, to the tabernacle, He had to offer this lamb. He had to literally lay his hands on the animal's head. Don't fall into the trap that the priest did this. No, 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 no. Not only did you have to pick your best lamb out of your own herd that you fed and tended, then you had to bring it to the tabernacle. Then you had to put your hands on its head. The sins would be placed, this is about the day of atonement and the the scapegoat. The sin would be placed upon the scapegoat and sent away from the presence of God. Hence, Jesus on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had placed our sins upon Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin because he placed our sins on Christ. 1 Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He imputed our sin to Christ. He took our sin, all the things that you've done in your life, everything that you will do against God, he took it and put it on Jesus. Our sinful debt was charged to Christ, and then Christ paid them through his death. Secures for you and me forgiveness and righteous standing that we receive through faith. Christ did. That's why Christ had to be human. The unchangeable nature of God could not die. But divine man, God man, God as a man could die and can die and did die. His human nature, the sinless Jesus, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, was made sin for us. And the wages of sin is death, right? Romans 6.23 so what ended up happening, uh, when you had to take your animal, you had to bring it to the tent of meeting, you had to lay your hands on it, and then what did you have to do? You had to kill it. Again, the priest doesn't do the killing. The worshiper does the killing. He had to slit the throat of his own lamb. No atonement, no setting right without death. A life for a life. Animal dies in the worshiper's place. A worshiper identifies himself with the animal and says, he is me. I am now this animal, and now this animal is killed for my sin. 
Christ identifies with sinners. That's why Jesus is baptized, right? Do you understand why he was baptized? He's identifying himself with sinners. Because when he goes to the cross, sin has then been imputed to him, and so that our sin is then placed upon Christ. And the penalty of sin is death. The will of God that his son would be born and then die for sinners. The great hymn by Charles Wesley and, it can't ha- and can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The worshiper in the sacrificial system, after he has killed the animal, his, only, his own lamb that he took from his flock, he would slit its throat and the blood would drain and the priest would then take the blood and apply it to one of the sacred objects associated with the sanctifying and God's presence Life was given to establish fellowship with God. That's the instant the atonement at one with God. The blood also covered the worshiper, cleansing him so that the worshiper may be brought in contact with God. It's so interesting about Leviticus 9 is that what happens is that they, they, the animals are brought, sacrifices have been made, um, sin has been forgiven, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. An atonement was made, these animals were killed, the blood was shed, and then Moses and Aaron went into the tent at the end of chapter 9. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The people saw the glory of the Lord. Not before the atonement was made. Again, like I said, that when the tabernacle was built, they weren't able to enter. They weren't able to see the glory of the Lord. When the animals were sacrificed, when sin was atoned for, they saw the glory of the Lord. The people saw the glory of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, is the mean of ascent. Interesting about the centurion at the cross. You remember the centurion at the cross? Watching over Jesus' death. What does he say when Jesus gives up his spirit? This surely is the Son of God. Fascinating thing about that. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's dying for the atonement of sin. After he dies, when sin is atoned for, he then does what? Surely this is the Son of God. What did he see? The glory of the Lord. It appeared to him. Atonement has to be made for us to be able to assent and be in fellowship with God. This child was born to die so that you, you may experience the glory of God. God is discovered through the atonement of Christ. Christ's sacrifice opens the gate to God. You may now enter because of what Christ did on the cross. As we read in the call of worship, as David read in the call of worship, we are his people. We are his. The Lord is good and has love endures forever. Once you were not his people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why? How is that so? It's because Christ, the child in the manger, went to the cross. And made atonement for your sins. Your sins were imputed to him. He became sin so that you may have what? The righteousness of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Not only is Christ taking away the sins of the world. But that his, his, his work on the cross is sufficient. The sufficiency of the Lamb of God. This is the third point. The sin of the world. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all sins. 
to Adam's in the past, to the wicked kings in the Old Testament, to our sins now and in the future, this Roman centurion, the Jews and the Gentiles, Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Christ can pay the debt. The infinite, the eternal payment, the eternal debt that we have because of our sin, Jesus is able to pay it. He has enough money. He has good credit. Why? Because he's the precious blood, the precious divine son of God. It's impossible for goats and bulls to take away sins. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All time, one sacrifice. Animals, bulls, and goats were insufficient. But Christ's death and offering is sufficient. Any of you all have student loans, student debt? Seems so much, for some, for some who have student debt, it seems impossible to pay back. I was reading a story a year, few years ago in the Wall Street Journal about a man who went to dental school in, at USC, Southern Cal, and it says that he has a million dollars of student loan debt. A million dollars. And based off interest, if he never pays it back, it'll be up to two million dollars by the time he dies. Think about it. There's no way that guy's going to pay that money back. He's making like 200000 a year, and he's living in California. How's he possibly going to be able to pay that back? Right now, you can actually go online and see the debt clock. Have you ever seen the debt clock, the U.S. debt clock? It's it, it continually going up. Right now, the U.S. is $27.4 trillion in debt. $27.4 trillion in debt. If that were to represent the sins of the world, $27.4 trillion. That was to represent the, the, the sins of the world. You know what? Christ could pay it. Christ can pay it. Christ can pay for it. His blood, his sacrifice is that valuable. He can pay it. The way that you want to think about this is like a credit card. If you go to the Old Testament, how did these people, how are they atoned for their sins? It's like a credit card. What happened was, is when, when, they, when they brought the animal to the tent of meetings, and when that animal was sacrificed for their sins, their sins were not officially actually forgiven. God was saying they're forgiven, but they had yet to be paid for by the sufficient Lord. So in a sense, it was like a credit card. There was a legal agreement that when Christ came and died, that that sin would be accounted for, that it would be forgiven. So Christ paid for all the sins of Adam and the Old Testament and every sin that we've ever committed in the present and every sin that will be committed in the future, Christ paid for on the cross. That's how sufficient Christ's sacrifice on the cross is. So when you think, well, Jesus could not possibly forgive me, yes, he can forgive you. Yes, his work on the cross is sufficient for you. The payment has been made. Christ has Paid it. Christ takes away the sins of those who have faith. What is Galatians? What does Paul say in Galatians 2.16? No one by the works of the law are justified, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are you justified. How do we have faith? Demonstrate your faith through repentance and worship. By faith, you are purified and made fit through the Spirit of God to know God and to be his child through faith. 
Not through works, not through being a good boy or a good girl, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in the sufficient and effective sacrifice of Christ on the cross for your sins. I love how David in Psalms 119 talks about the word of the God, how it's more precious than silver and gold. It's more precious than thousands of, of, of jewels. The word of God is more precious than that. The word of God, Christ Jesus, is more precious than all the money in the world. Why? Because all the money in the world cannot save you. All the money in the world cannot, cannot buy you out of God's eternal judgment. Only faith in Christ. And the question is, do you, do you know Christ Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, who was born to die for the sins of the world? Do you know the God who took his own son and, and, and sacrificed him for the purification of your soul so that you would know him? Maybe you really don't want to know God, right? There are, you know, the, the thought is, is if you come to church, you obviously want to know God. Like, why else would you be here? It's an interesting point. But I think for many people... They don't really want to know God. They just want a little religion, a little morality, a little counseling, a little encouragement. Some cute little baby Jesus is good enough. I don't really need any more. Christianity is too weird to simply give you only that. It's just too weird. I mean, our Savior and Lord died on a Roman cross. And that's the center of our faith. It's not the baby in the manger. The central focus of our faith is a Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, being brutally murdered on a cross. How much weirder can you get? And we believe that that same Jesus is coming back on a white horse. How much weirder can you get? You can't just simply say, well, I, I believe in Jesus because I like the baby in the manger story. It doesn't work. The cross lurks too often. In the Christmas story, you cannot separate the baby in the manger from the one who will go to a criminal's cross and die. You cannot separate the two. He is the Lamb of God who, will, who was born that man no longer may spiritually die. You know, if, if you wanted to say, right, Matt, what is your wish? It's Christmas season, right? It's a bunch of wishing. We, get, we, we make wishes. What is, what, is our, what is my wish? What is my dream as a pastor and your brother in Christ? To be honest, this is what my wish would be. This is what my hope would be, that you would live in such a way that reflects a thankful heart to God for your salvation. And you would do that by reading God's word and studying God's word. That you would read God's word and study it. I, 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 I tell people this, and I believe it. I cannot grow you closer to the Lord. Pastor Ditton can't do it. Pastor Robert can't do it. No one who's discipling you can make you draw closer to the Lord. It's only through your understanding and reading of God's word. Your love of God, your delighting and meditating on his word is how you're going to go closer to him. So if you're looking for the church that's going to fix all your spiritual problems, it's not out there. If you don't get into God's word, you will not grow closer to the Lord. So for me, as a pastor and as a brother in Christ, what I desire for you is that you would that you would live out in such a way a result of thankful heartness to God for your salvation. And I pray that God would reveal himself and his will to you and to us corporately. Pray that God would, uh, would expand our love for him and teach others. 
I think that would be my vision for the next year, is that we as a church, the people in our church, would love God's Word. That's why we do the reading text things. You may go like, I've gotten all those texts, I'm so annoyed by it. The reason why we send out those texts is because we want you to read the Bible. Because if you're not reading God's Word, you'll never grow closer to the Lord. So the whole thing about getting you in church more often and making you a consistent giver uh, and, and, and encouraging you to share your faith, that will never happen if you're not reading God's Word. It will never happen. You will never grow closer to Christ. You will never live out the faith if you're not reading God's Word. The last thing I want to say here is the last point. This is the healing of the spheria. The healing of dysphoria, sorry. Dysphoria is a sense of unrest, a state of feeling of discontentment and unhappiness. I think that's a lot of where the problems are for a lot of the world is there's just a state of discontent, a, a sense of, of uneasiness and unrest. There is a, a story that came across my uh, Facebook pay, uh, stream not too long ago about um, Ellen Page, the actor, actress, who was in Inception. Uh, she was in Juno. Uh, she was in one of the X-Men movies. Um, she actually became, she came out as a homosexual not too long ago, a few years ago. But just recently, she actually is, uh, she identifies as a man. And so now her name is no longer Ellen Page, but her name is Elliot Page. And uh, Hillary Clinton actually uh, responded to her coming out as a man with this tweet, it's wonderful to witness people becoming who they are. This is what Ellen Page said, my joy is real, but it is also fragile. It was interesting because a, a, a Christian uh, a kind of um, radio host who once lived in, in L.A. and was actually a gay man named Beckett Cook writes about Ellen Page becoming Elliot Page. And the story of Beckett Cook is that he was a, he was a gay man living in L.A., he was a part of uh, pride movements and, uh, and did pr uh, pride parades in L.A. Well, he was invited to a church in L.A. by a friend. He went to that church. He heard the gospel and walked out of the building a new person. He put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he talks a lot about identity. And he talks about Ellen Page a little bit and how the, the issue is, is that people's identity is so tied to how they identify with themselves or how, they, um, how others treat them. What's so interesting about Beckett is, is that he once identified as a gay man, but then he walked out of that church identifying with Christ. And he, he considered all the things that were lost, all the friendships that were lost, all the things that were lost as worthless in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that the fundamental issue beneath your dysphoria is the fall the distorted mind, the distorted will, the distorted emotion. And that the issue is that the true self that was created by God has been cut off and separated from the one who defines who we are, which is God. When you are disconnected, when you are separated from your creator, you do not know who you really are. So you're searching for who you are. You're trying to identify with something to define who you are. That's what Ellen Page is doing. But the only way back, the only way into the tent of meetings was, is, with, is, is through Christ. 
Christ heals us from us from our sense of unrest by uniting us to God, by laying his life down, being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You cannot obtain this reality by looking within yourself or to others for approval. It can only be found in Christ. Faith in the one who was born to die is the only way. It's the only way to go back to God. It's the only way to be made one with God. It's the only way to have fellowship with God. It's the only way to actually know who you truly are is in relationship to God. And you can't get there without Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, you cannot get back to God. It's only through Christ. A Christmas without the cross is a meaningless Christmas. A Christmas without the blood sacrifice of Christ is a meaningless Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who does not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would redeem them and you would save them. You would open their hearts to believe in the, in the, in the work that Christ did on the cross for their sins. That he is sufficient. That his sacrifice is of, in, of in infinite value. It covers our eternal judgment and punishment, Lord. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who identifies as a Christian, but really, truly within their hearts, they don't really know God. They don't truly know you, Lord. They have a safe and sweet Christianity of baby in a manger, and that's about it. They sing, hark the herald angels sing, but they have not been reconciled to you. They have not experienced the second birth. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, again, you would change their hearts and you would give them faith. Lord, I pray they would not leave here today without talking to someone, Lord, that can explain to them the gospel, who can meet with them and have coffee or lunch and talk about Christ and talk about faith. Don't, leave them, don't let them leave this building without being changed, Lord. Lord, we praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up the Lord's Supper.